The great king above all gods, that's lowercase g. That means he is above everything. He is the king of kings, Lord of lords. Verse four, he owns the depths of the earth and even the mightiest mountains are his. The sea belongs to him for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. So the psalmist says, everything you can see in existence belongs to God. Literally, he has the whole world in his hands because he created it. Haggai the prophet, though, adds something that maybe you didn't know about God's ownership in financial possessions as well. Haggai 2.8 says, all the silver and gold of the world is mine. How much? All the silver and gold of the world is mine. If that's true, how should we respond? We'll go back to that Psalm 95 we were just reading. We pick up with verses 6 and 7. Here's what the psalmist says. If everything belongs to God, look, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over the sheep under his care. So the psalmist said, if everything belongs to God, if what the Bible says is true, the way we respond to the one who owns everything is we bow down and we worship him. Part of the reason that we're told to gather every week and worship God is that we stimulate one another to worship God because we we say that left to our own desires, we won't pursue God. Nobody I've ever met drifts towards God. If you drift, you naturally drift away from God. You don't drift towards God. And nobody I've ever met in this Christian financial management thing, nobody drifts towards giving money to God. What do people do? They drift towards giving money to me. It's the difference in being a river and a reservoir that we talked about several weeks ago. Now, not only does God own everything, not only should we worship God and bow down to him, Because he owns everything we can see, all the finances. The Bible says, even your life, God owns. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Haven't you yet learned that your body is the home of the Holy Spirit God gave you and that he lives within you? Your own body does not belong to you. If it doesn't belong to me, who does it belong to? For God has bought you with a great price. So use every part of your body to give glory back to God because he owns it. We talked last week about if somebody else, you're using something that belongs to somebody else, they own it. And so the body you live in belongs to God. So the way you live today will impact your eternity. And just in case you ever want some more Bible verses for that, I got a whole list here. Just come to me and I'll I'll write you out a list of things you can you can read that shows God owns everything. Well, according to the Bible, you don't own anything. God owns it all. So your children are not your own. Your house, your cars, your possessions are not yours. They all belong to God. And so that brings us to point two. If God owns it all, then number two, he can take whatever, whenever he wants. He can take whatever, whenever he wants. An owner has rights. A manager has responsibilities. And according to the Bible, you and I don't have rights. We are managers. We have responsibilities. God, in his goodness, has allowed you and I to manage some of his stuff. But there will be an accounting because it all belongs to God. Now, what this means is we can't hold on tightly to stuff. We've got to hold on lightly because it doesn't belong to us. So if God owns it all, if he can take whatever, whenever he wants, then this was one of the things that was was very difficult for me to grasp years ago as a young Christian. But this is reality. Number three. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. 
Oh, I did not need to hear that. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Our spiritual lives and our financial lives are so interwoven, they cannot be separated. And here's the deal. Here's the bottom line. For some of us, that means we're going to have to overcome lifetimes of habits that do not honor God. And if we really look at it, what it means is we're going to have to overcome envy and greed. Dad, gum, it just keeps getting worse. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, then, then he said, Be, beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how, by how much we own. Every one of us is going to have to learn to resist this incredibly strong pull of the culture that says possession defines you. Possessions, would you say, would you agree with me, this is yes or no? Possessions in our country have become an obsession. Yes, okay, we all agree. So here's the key. Here's the key if you and I are going to live in the zone. We've got to change our thinking. When our thinking changes, our actions will change. That's actually the, the meaning of repentance. As long as we think we own it, we won't consider life from God's perspective. Now, Ryan, come on up here. I asked Ryan to come up, and, and I just want to do a quick interview with him. Uh, I'm going to have to use David's mic here. If you'll just sit there. Now... Ryan and I have gotten to be good friends. We ride four-wheelers a lot, and we've done several things together. Um, And just through my powers of observation, I have learned that Ryan has the greatest job in the universe. Now, I was at his office the other day, and I've been there many times over the past few years. I was at his office, and people started walking in off the street, unsolicited, Walking in and handing the dude money. Just giving it to him. Nothing in return except some little piece of paper receipt that says, I gave a chunk of money to Ryan Pence. And I sat there going, wow, I've got to get in this business. Because see, I'm an experienced shopper. And, and I've learned through the years that when I go to Walmart and I take out all my money and I give it to the cashier, or I don't do that anymore. I go to self-checkout because it's just the way I am. It's faster. But I put my money in the machine. I get something for it. It's either groceries or sporting goods or electronics. I figured this out, but not at Ryan's job. Steady stream. We couldn't even get out of his office the other day because so many people were just driving up, coming in and handing him money and leaving. See you later. See you next week. I'll bring you more next week. And I'm like, yeah. Now, you actually do two things. One, you're, you're a used car dealer. That's correct. What's your other job? A bell bondsman. Bail bondsman. I got to get in this this business because people just come and give you offerings. They shower you with offerings, right? That's the way it works. It's no, it's not how it works. <laughs> okay, well let's let's explain to everybody what does a bail bondsman do. Basically, a bail bond is a insurance policy that you're going to show up to court um, when you go to jail. Hopefully, nobody here goes there. But if you go to jail. You, the judge sees you, says you're being charged with this, and for you to get freedom until you go to court, you got to pay this much money. It's called a bail. Well, most people don't have five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars, so they call somebody like me, a bondsman. We write a sheet of paper that's basically called a surety bond, which is an insurance policy that says, judge will guarantee that this person will show up to court or will pay the ten thousand dollars. In return, the person pays me a percentage of that $10,000 bond, usually anywhere from 10 to 
and we do it in financing methods and they pay so much down so much a month or a week however they get paid and they bring it in to me and then whenever they go to court the court says you've done good ryan here's your money back okay so it's not out of the goodness of their heart that these people come unsolicited they're not actually unsolicited are they when you go to bail someone out of jail whose money are you using it's usually, uh, you know, their money through a job, a family member, anything. Whenever, but whose money do you put up? Whose money do I put up? It's your My money. money. So, when these people come in off of the street and they give you money, they're not giving you an offering. They're actually bringing back to you what's already yours. That's correct. Oh, I get it now. And, and you wouldn't recommend that most people go into the bail bondsman business, would you? No. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not the greatest business, but thank you. I'll give Ryan a hand. I appreciate you sharing with me. That's a picture. Ryan is not jumping up and down and going, Woo, I got some more money. Because people are bringing back to him what's already his. Make sense? He has done something for those folks, and so they bring it back to him, and it's already his. Okay. Now, what he does, he does for people what they can't do for themselves. Kind of sounds like God, what God does for us. And this principle of bringing back to people what they already have is universal. Um, a couple of months ago, actually right before Christmas, I uh, borrowed Andy's four-wheelers. And we had a good time and rode the four-wheelers. When it came time to bring them back... Andy didn't run out to his gate and fall down prostrate on his face and say, Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing back to me what was mine. Actually, what he said was, It's about time, dude. Um, he was thinking, It's my stuff. It's only natural that I should get it back, right? That makes sense. Well, God owns it all, and when you use something that belongs to someone else, you know there will come a time when you will have to reckon with that person. I recently borrowed Wes's truck. And uh, I had it so long that Wes calls me this last week and he's like, uh, Doug, can I borrow your truck? <laughs> and I said, do you want to borrow yours? And he goes, no, I might as well borrow yours. Um, <laughs> even though I had it so long, I knew it wasn't mine. And in fact, the inspection sticker is way out on it. And if I got stopped, I, was, I couldn't wait to tell the cop that it wasn't mine. If you're going to find somebody, find him. No, not really. I would have told him it wasn't mine, but I still would have paid the fine. I didn't own the truck, so I knew there was a time. Anytime he could call and say, man, I need my truck back. And I'd say, sure, it's yours. You own it. So let me bring it back to you. That's the whole idea that we're talking about. Now, think of it this way. There are two rival masters that are competing for your attention and my attention. One master is money. And it shouts that if we will... That we will find financial freedom, fulfillment, contentment, and peace only by acquiring more things. If our pile of stuff is bigger and higher than it was last year, bigger and higher than our neighbors or our friends or our family members, then we will be content. Commercials say, wear me, buy me, drink me, drive me, put me in your hair, and I'll make you happy and you'll have wonderful relationships. Right? That's what commercials say. The other master is God. God doesn't shout or plead. God just very quietly tells you what he expects and he leaves the choice up to you. Gentle, quiet voice. He, in, he invites you to be faithful to him. And financial freedom is a byproduct of my faithfulness to God, my obedience to God.
So, okay, if this is true, what what can we do? Oh, my goodness, we haven't been living like this. Well, the first thing you can do is manage money the way God told you to. You could move from the land of Ing into the zone. And one of the easiest ways to consistently acknowledge that stuff is not your God is to bring 10% to God on a weekly basis or every other week whenever you get paid. And, and really, 10% is not a hard deal. <laughs> Just move the decimal over. You know, it's not hard to figure out 10%. Maybe that's why God said 10% and not 7.25 or whatever that the government does. Um, God's a lot smarter than the government. Now, when I bring the tithe, I'm acknowledging who's really in charge. Kind of like date night. When I take my wife on a date, I'm acknowledging, <laughs> she's on the front row. I'm acknowledging who's really in charge in the relationship, and it ain't me. I'm kidding. God, y'all take everything so literally. Because um, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Y'all know that rule. No. Um, by the way, we've had dates four weeks in a row. This week, we had three dates. You're supposed to go, ooh. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Alex said, y'all are single again. I said, it feels like it. At least temporarily. God said, if you will trust me with the 10%, then you'll be under my blessing. You'll be in the zone and I'll bless your socks off. Now, what does that mean? Now, remember, we've said for two weeks, this is the third week. Blessing means the tangible and intangible favor of God. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean that your time X, time X, <laughs> by the way, I've lost this watch twice at the Y and it's such a cheap piece of trash that it keeps getting turned in. I mean, it'll sit in there for weeks because I'm serious. This was like 988 at Walmart because I just refused to spend money on stuff. And I've left it there twice. It's been at the it's been at the Y more than it's been on my wrist since Christmas. And like nobody wants it. Um, that's why they bring it back. But does it mean that this will magically turn into a Rolex? No. Does it mean your modest home will immediately become a mansion or maybe you'll hit the lottery? No, there are two mistakes, two extremes you can go to whenever there's a teaching about God's financial management. The first one is the name it and claim it belief. Tithe and you too can drive a Lexus. God will miraculously make one appear in your driveway if you drop your check into the joy basket as you leave today. Giving is the key to automatic incomes and 10,000 square foot homes. Just put your money in the basket today or call this 1-800-GIVE-US-YOUR-MONEY number and charge your gift on your credit card and all your wildest financial dreams will come true. That's garbage. Name it and claim it is not in the Bible. The opposite extreme is to say, well, God doesn't care about my finances. God doesn't bless in the financial area at all. See, some people believe there's this total disconnect between spiritual things and secular things. Spiritual being the things of God, secular being the things that are of the world. There is no disconnect. God not only owns it all, he's involved in all of it. The clear teaching in Scripture is that you do certain things and God will do certain things. Well, what are we talking about then? The blessing. Here it is. The blessing is whatever God chooses to give. And some of you are going, that's the biggest cop out I've ever heard. God custom designs each blessing for a human life. It could be financial, could be blessings of security. God deliberately leaves it open ended so he can give you what you need. Maybe it's a deepened character, fulfillment, impact, influence, creativity or peace. There can be blessings of God on relationships, marriages, families. The possibilities are endless. But we have to say 
that it also includes the tangible favor of God. And I want you to look at Malachi uh, 3, 10 and 11. Last week we looked at 8 through 10 where it says, Will a man rob God, uh, yet you're robbing me? How have we robbed you? Rob me in tithes and offerings. Look at, at verses 10 and 11. God says, bring, the, bring to the storehouse a full tenth of what you earn so there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord All-Powerful. I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings you need. I will stop the insects so they won't eat your crops. The grapes won't fall from your vines before they are ready to pick, says the Lord All-Powerful. Now, let's just break this down real quickly. Storehouse simply meant in the Old Testament, when Malachi was written, the storehouse meant the temple. In the New Testament, that moved to the local church, the body of Christ. The most important thing in God's economy in the New Testament was his bride, the body of Christ, the church. So it just means when it says bring your tithe to the storehouse, it means the local place where you go to church. Now, the tithe, 10 percent, that's very easy. God says you do your part and I'll do my part. So what is God's part? Well, when it says here, open the windows of heaven and pour out all the blessings, the original language says, God says, I will open the floodgates of heaven. Floodgates of heaven is used twice in the Bible. The first time that floodgates of heaven is used is in the time of Noah. (laughs) And God says, I'm going to open the floodgates of heaven and my floodgates will overrun the earth. So when Malachi uses it, It's saying that floodgates of heaven means that God's blessing will be so outrageous that it could only be compared to what God did to the earth during the time of Noah's great flood. God says, you have no idea of the torrential downfall of blessing of good that I'll literally douse on your life if you trust me. And that sounds good to me, but but God's promises don't stop there. Look what else he says. When God talks about protecting our crops... He's making it clear that you do not have to worry when you bring the 10 percent that the other 90 percent will not meet all of your needs. You can rest assured that you will not lose ground because of your generosity. God is saying, if you'll honor me, if you'll bring me the full 10 percent, you don't have to worry about the 90 percent going as far as it needs to. God says, I will personally care for your needs. God is saying, trust me. And this is the only time in the Bible those words are used. Trust me. uh, I dare you. A double dog dare you. Test me. See if your needs are met. In return, I will become supernaturally involved in your life in a unique way, including a specific promise that you never have to worry about um, your giving, taking away from the things that you need. So here it is. Bottom line. Do you want 90 percent of your income supernaturally blessed by the God of the universe? Or do you want 100 percent of your income cursed? Go back and read Malachi. Those aren't my words. Those are God's words. Read Malachi and you have to decide that. Now, some of you are saying, well, Doug, you don't know my situation. My answer to that is you are exactly right. I don't know. But God does. And I know when you make a statement like that, you are looking at your financial situation and not at the God of the universe. Because when I get a glimpse of the God of the universe throughout Scripture, when anybody got a glimpse of God, you know what they did? They bowed down on their face and said, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And what needs to happen, if you don't think God can supernaturally meet your needs, then then you've got an an inadequate view of God. You need to broaden your view of God, because I guarantee you, when you see him, he will change you and you'll say, I can trust him with anything. When you understand how wide and high and deep and long is the love of Christ, 
that Ephesians 3.18 talks about. When you grasp that, how loving God is, how big God is, how powerful He is, then bringing the tithe will be a no-brainer. Now, some of you are also thinking, man, I'm in debt. Well, come next week, because we're going to talk specifically about debt. We're going to talk about materialism and debt over the next two weeks and how you get out of that stuff. But basically, it, it boils down to this. You've got, you got two plans, two possibilities. Plan A, tithe when I get out of debt. And quite honestly, if I were to calculate how many years it will take some of you to get out of debt, I mean, if you just paid the, the average American citizen owes about $8,000 on credit cards. If you make the minimum payment on that, you know how long it takes you to pay that off? 37 years. I'd be 79. <laughs> so that's plan A. I can wait until I get out of debt, but I'm going to miss 37 years of opportunity to participate in what God wants me to do and to have God supernaturally involved in my life. Plan B, God, I'm looking at this and it doesn't make any sense. But I'm going to trust you. You said test me, I'm going to test you. And I'll tell you this, we've, I've interviewed people through the years and I've never found a person who tithes. You come, you come to them 10, 20, 50, uh, 50 years later and you say, do you regret tithing? Never met one. But people are a dime a dozen who will say, man, I wish I had started God's financial plan 10, 20, 30 years ago. Now, if you want the floodgates of heaven opened up to you, then you've got to trust God. It's the only way it happens. And, you know, quite honestly, discipline is, is the problem for a lot of us. And some of us, if, if we see the money, we see it going that way, you know. I mean, it's here one day and it's gone the next. It does this vanishing act. And maybe discipline is part of the problem. Um, we have some, some folks in our church that have... The, the EFT sheets, the electronic funds, I didn't get one of those, they're at the back. Oh, I did too. If, if that's it, because Janie and I years ago started a uh, Freedom account, and the Freedom account is everything that's not a normal monthly business expense, um, you know, like auto insurance. We pay that every six months, and, and housing insurance, that's every year. And we calculated how much we were going to need in a year's time, and that money is automatically transferred out of our checking account every month into this other account so that when it comes time, you know, in, in uh, March when we owe uh, $400 or whatever on auto insurance, it's there. We just write a check and we call it the yellow checking account. And in August when our housing comes due, we'll write it out of that. And when our taxes are due in January, we write it out of that because we just, the money's going to be there. And so if I don't see it, if it doesn't bolster my checking account, because y'all know that's true, on payday you're like, I got all this money. Three days later, you go, I'm broke because it's gone. And maybe just not seeing it as part of the deal. And, and all that we offer this for is just for you to help in the discipline area. You can either set it up on, online as an automatic draft every month, or you can take this sheet and we'll, uh, you fill it out, bring it back to us, and we take that to the bank. Now, we said last week that if you don't give, the church isn't closing its doors. We would we would literally mortgage our house to keep the church from closing its doors. That's how much we believe in what God has called us to do. Um, so if you don't give, if you skip a month or two months, we're still going to pay the bills. 
It's much more important what God will do in your life if you're obedient. Did you take out your registration cards? Fill those out for us so that we can have a record of your visit.